This is episode number 98, Level Up Your Life and Exploit Your Brokenness with Dan Waltschmidt. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. Those that are holding you accountable probably know your intention. That's where things are magical. People can challenge your outcomes. People can challenge your attitude. People can challenge your actions. But it's really hard for them to challenge your intention. What's your intention? And so having accountability really clearly states what your intention is all about. What is happening, you awesome people? I am back home. I've been home for a couple of days in BC. After the Cape Epic, I went to San Diego. I actually flew out the day after the race, which was a little bit crazy, but my husband was in San Diego for a work conference, and then we spent an extra day or two there just to relax. So I went straight there, and now I'm finally home. And I'm not home for long. The next event is Sea Otter Classic, and I would love to see some of you guys there. I'll be bouncing around. My home base will likely be at the Wahoo Fitness booth, and I'll also be doing a nutrition talk at Goo Energy Labs booth. I think it's at two o'clock on Thursday. I'm also doing both pro cross-country races. So on Thursday, I'm doing the HC race, and on Sunday, I'm doing the longer form cross-country race. I don't know how those are going to go with the recovery from the Cape Epic, but it's going to be really fun just to be part of the event and to get in some good rides. I'll have an awesome race analysis, trip experience recap episode for you on South Africa and the Cape Epic for next week. But for this week's episode, it's all about action. And that is what Dan Waldschmidt is all about. From a young age, he believed in extreme effort, so much so that he pushed himself over the edge and found himself holding a gun to his own head. Contemplating suicide got Dan to turn his life around and focus on what really mattered. Dan is an accomplished speaker, best-selling author of the book Edgy Conversations, an ultra runner, and a podcast host. His goal is to help people get unstuck, make decisions, and take extreme action. He has been published in places like Business Insider, Forbes, Vanity Fair, and CNBC. I love this episode because we talked about how to stay motivated to exercise on business trips, how to have more accountability, the power of choice, how to make the right decision for you, what having extreme behavior means, finding your brokenness and finding a way to make that brokenness work for you in a positive way, and how to turn your thoughts into action and stop making excuses. I love this quote by Dan Walshmid. It's the difference between success and failure is usually just an excuse you are making right now. I love this because it applies to everything that we're doing in life. And all of us have goals. We all want to be fitter, healthier, have more free time. Maybe we want to start a business or be more successful at work or have more meaningful relationships. So this episode can apply to everyone. And before we get into it, I want to invite you guys to the Plant Powered Tribe, which is my free Facebook group. And it's about how to just be healthier. You don't have to be a vegan. You don't have to call yourself plant-based. You just have to want to add in more healthy meals. And most of us eat plant-based mostly anyway. We all eat fruits and vegetables. But this group is really to help encourage people to add in more of those recipes to help support one another. And the things that I try to work on that tend to fall short on a weekly basis are greens and beans. 
So those two things, the group has been helpful supporting me to stay true to that and just have accountability. So you guys are welcome. It's Plant Power Tribe on Facebook. And I also have a cookbook that I came out with. It's a digital cookbook called Plant Power Tribe, and you can buy it on moxieandgrit.com. There's 22 recipes, and I think that these recipes are really tasty. And something that was important to me was to make them quick and easy to make because, man, it is hard to make time to cook sometimes whenever you're trying to train, you're working, you want to have free time, and maybe you're just tired. So that was my inspiration behind this cookbook. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show. This is a weekly podcast, so every single week we have a new guest and a different topic. And I try to keep it diverse, but also fitting the mindset, plant-based nutrition and inspiring stories categories. And that's been some really helpful feedback that I really love from you guys was that you really enjoyed the different types of guests that I have on this show. And basically, I just want to have people on the show that have inspired me in some way because we are very diverse people. There's a lot of different things that inspire us and there's many more things to life than just our sport. So I really think that bringing it all together in this podcast has been really helpful for me. And it's also helped me read more and connect more with others. So I hope it's doing that for you as well. If you want to support my work financially, I have a Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show. And even just a couple bucks a month makes a massive difference. And I just want to say big thank you to my team that helps me get this podcast out every week. We have Roma, who is the podcast producer, and he's been doing an amazing job since episode one so that the final version that you hear in your ears is lovely and perfect and sounding great. And also to Tina, my assistant, who helps me get these guests booked in and make sure that the podcast gets released at the same time each week. So thank you, you guys. Thank you to the listeners. You guys are awesome. And I wouldn't be able to do this without you. All right, let's get into this episode with Dan Walshmit and note that his book is available for free on his website. So if you get to listening to this, you want the book, make sure you go to the show notes and there's a link to Edgy Conversations. Here is Dan Walshmit. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I was pretty excited to come across your work because not only are you an amazing author and speaker and coach, but you're also an ultra runner. Yeah. And, you know, recently I've been an ultra treadmill runner as my work has taken me to a lot of different places. I've not been able to I'll arrive at weird hours of the day or night. And I find myself just hopping on the treadmill, but I think I don't know if that's a sport or not. Ultra treadmill running. Fun fact people probably don't know about me is I've actually ran 20 miles on a treadmill once. So ultra treadmilling, I, I, I get that. <laughs> I like it. So where, where did you do the 20 miles on a treadmill? It was, I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And before I was a cyclist, I was wanted to run a marathon when I was 18. And for the training, I, it was like snowing or something one day. So I thought I'll just go run 20 miles on the treadmill. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah, there's actually a couple of friends of mine who've done a 50K on a treadmill. But yeah, after a while, I feel like it's hard because it doesn't move up or down or, you know, there's no wind. And so you're kind of just hoping that you don't die and eventually the timer goes to zero and you can hop off. So so how do you get the energy to go get on a treadmill? Because a lot of times when people are on work trips, it's all encompassing. And that's the last thing people want to do is like get up early or after their meetings all day, go get on a treadmill. Great question, because I think this is something I get asked quite a bit is that 
for me, running actually, you know, it, it's like an adrenaline booster. So even on days where I'm fasting, at least one day a week, I fast. So usually Wednesdays, no food or anything like that. And even on those days, I'll go running. And, you know, you're like, you're, you're kind of tired and emotionally and physically and, and then no food. And then you hop on a treadmill and it's like, you would think that would compound everything. But actually it, uh, I, I know a little secret and that running for me actually gives me a little bit more energy. It also gives me clarity. And it also sometimes allows me to think through challenges, obstacles, problems, you know, it gives me a bit of creativity. Now the next day, I'm waking up sore and tired and like, oh, I did that way too late. I should have slept instead of running on a treadmill. But I, I never regret getting in the exercise. I just don't. Yeah, that's a great point to make because a lot of times it's hard for people to get started with something, especially exercise, but rarely do you regret getting started after you've already started. <laughs> yeah, I have a close friend and I'll, I'll often say we like kind of hold each other accountable and I'll say, just take the first step. Just like do a step and then if you want to stop, fine. You can say you went walking or running because you took a step. But if you want to do more, then do more. And what almost always happens invariably uh, is that people going. In fact, James Clear in his book Atomic Habits it just came out. Huge bestseller, amazing book. He talks about that, you know, how do you create new habits? And instead of like, I'm going to go to the gym each day, he would tell some of his coaching clients, put on your clothes and just drive to the gym. That's it. Don't even go in. Just drive there, turn around, and come back. And what happened was people had gotten the muscle memory of going to the gym, and then they were like, well, I'm here, right? I might as well do something, and that led them to working out. But they had already developed the easy thing, and then the hard thing of actually doing the work was quick to follow right behind it. Yeah, James Clear is actually a guest on my show, and this, his episode will come out in the next couple of weeks. So that's so cool that you mentioned him. <laughs> yeah, I like his his stuff is solid. It's there's a lot of people who write and it's very philosophical and you're like, yeah, I guess, but it's too conceptual. I like it's pithy, it's powerful, and it gets you to the next level. Absolutely. You mentioned an accountability friend, and this is something that some people have and it really does help. But how did you choose your accountability friend? Because I, I think that that is pretty important. Well, I'm married to her. So that, <laughs> that helps. helps. Yeah. Um <laughs> That helps. Look, I have, you know, various accountability friends, you know, that either I'm obviously not married to all of them. (laughs) That would be quite impossible. But, you know, I I find people like in running who I can be accountable to. And then I find people uh, in business or in relationships or like even with my wife, she knows me better than anybody else in the world. And there's two ways you can have a relationship, especially uh, marriage. And by the way, I'm not giving anyone marriage advice. I'm like the last person in the world to do that. But one thing I've learned is that you have a choice to make in your relationships and being accountable. Either you want to be accountable or you don't. And if your challenge is, oh, I don't want someone getting up in my face, then you're really not that serious about your goals. You're really what we call full of shit, right? <laughs> uh, and so, uh, you know, it's, it's when you say, I'm so desperate to achieve success that I'm actually asking you as my friend or my partner or as someone that, you know, cares about my success to really challenge me to, to, for me to be my best self. And that's where you see yourself leveling up in some really extraordinary ways. So one, if you're looking for an accountability partner, find someone else who wants to be accountable. And uh, I'll often throw up and uh, throw, not throw up, but throw out into my community. Hey, looking for this, who knows somebody? Or I'm trying to do this, what do you recommend? And over time, it's really fascinating the number of people who kind of self-select into, I want to be better. 
What's interesting about being better, though, and you know this as a, as a competitive athlete yourself, uh, someone with crazy hobbies, right, is that it's not for everybody. You tell people what you're doing with your mountain biking or me, you know, running miles, and they go, oh, uh, I could never do that. And in the past, I would always be like, oh, yeah, you could. And then I realized, no, they probably can't, right? They probably can't. And not because they weren't born with arms and legs or the muscle fiber and tissue that hold the cells and bones together to go do it. It's just that the kind of the singular thing that determines success is the ability for you to have a clear goal, a one clear motivating focus. And when I look at successful people since the beginning of time, they've all had one big thing they want to achieve. And uh, you can have multiple things. It's just one at a time. And when you put all your effort into that, it seems to work. And so accountability, it starts with knowing what you want. Then two, it starts with like leveling up to the point where you say, I want someone else to hold me accountable so I don't cheat, so I don't back out, so I don't get weak. And then the third part of that is saying, no matter what happens to me, I'm going to be open to the universe teaching me whatever lessons I need to know so that I get better. And that's really, really hard because when you try, it's almost like you say, and I've been this way in my life. When I was younger, I would say like, well, I know I screwed up, but I was trying, so I should get credit for that. And you know, the universe doesn't give you credit for trying. The universe gives you credit for doing whatever it takes and whatever it takes is always what it takes, right? It never takes less than whatever it takes. So people say, oh, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. You're probably not because you're the type of person who gives like pithy anecdotes, but you're not busy doing hard work when no one's watching you. And so I think when you talk, I know I kind of went seven places on one simple question, but when we talk about, you know, like James Clear and having habits, and we talk about making progress in our lives, leveling up, kind of becoming better versions of ourselves, personal development, this whole category of, of subjects that we like to throw around. What we often don't do is hold ourselves accountable. We let, you know, negativity steal our joy. We let jealousy steal our joy. Uh, we let people and, like think and worry and lack of belief steal our joy. And at the end of the day, we talk a lot about what we want to do but we're not good at holding ourselves accountable. So yes, you have to have accountability partner and you have to have somebody who's willing to call you out on your crap when you aren't willing to hold yourself accountable for your crap. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to actually see your pattern because a lot of times we try and create new habits or new lifestyles. And I'll give an example of myself is I'm trying to work less because I tend to work myself into an oblivion and burnout. So my accountability has been with my husband to have him say, I notice you're working 12 hours a day. Like you should probably do a little bit less. And I get frustrated whenever I hear that because it's like, I know, but I got to get this done. But I asked him to hold me accountable to that because that's what I need. And that can be really hard to see yourself slip back into that old habit. Yeah, that's right. It's not only a matter of perspective. It's the fact that those that are holding you accountable probably know your intention. That's where things are magical. You know, people can challenge your outcomes. People can challenge your attitude. People can challenge your actions. But it's really hard for them to challenge your intention, right? What's your intention? And so, you know, having accountability really clearly states what your intention is all about. And usually it's like you, I want to, maybe it's not quality of life, but it's like, I want to learn how to be so massively productive that I don't need to do this for 15 hours a day. 
I can do it in 10 or 12. I love that. And also, you know, you mentioned people running, like I know that you were trying to set a record for a number of miles run in 24 hours and people saying, Oh, I don't want to do that. Or I can't do that. And something really powerful that my dad said to me growing up was it's not can't it's won't you can do it. You're choosing not to. So I think it's, it's important for people to realize whenever they say, I can't do it, it's a choice and it's okay to choose that, but you are making that choice. Everything is a choice. If there's only one lesson you embrace in life, it's this, that everything is indeed a choice. So I'm the co-founder, co-CEO of a boutique consulting company. And often the question when we're consulting is about, you know, how do I grow? How do I generate more sales? And I'll say, well, let's go rob a bank. Like that's a way to get sales. And people often go, oh, they kind of give you the hand and throw their head back and chuckle. But the reality is that's an option. It's a choice. Now, it may not be a choice you want to undertake. And I completely get that. You're probably smart. But it's a choice. And when you fully embrace the fact that you have unlimited choices, it frees you up to be faster at the choosing part of the equation, not deciding if you have choices. You already know you have choices. It frees you up to actually do the deciding. Uh, and so that's it's, it's really magical. Now, you may be listening and you may be thinking like, sure, right? Everything's a choice, but they're not really choices. That's what most people say. What, if I say that from stage or you know, when I'm talking to them, they'll say, yeah, I, I get it. Theoretically, everything's a choice, but not everything is a choice. And when you fully find yourself powerful, it's because you really buy into this concept that like I get to choose. I get to choose my attitude, my reactions, my energy. I get to choose everything, what I put in my body, the friends I allow myself to be around, all of it, all of it's a choice. And, and I'm not going to beat myself up. Because if I make the wrong choice, I'm just going to adjust, adapt, and do it better next time. That is where you really find yourself growing and reaching new levels of awesomeness. Because if you don't like where you're at, you could quickly go, oh, I'm just going to change it. And it's almost like a second nature. You're like, yeah, I'm just going to change it. You can change anything because it's just a matter of, of making a different choice, of deciding that you want to be in a different place. I love that and I agree 100%. And something that I hear, especially from people in their 20s, is that they want to make a change, but there's so many choices. It's so hard to pick something and to make a decision and commit to it. So what do you recommend for people who want to make a change, but they can't decide which choice, which direction to go? So I would say this, do anything. You know, one of the, one of the things that we often fall into the trap of is believing that there is a right choice. And that's not the case. There's not really one choice. There are wrong choices, <laughs> clearly wrong choices, but there's not one right choice. And so instead of agonizing, do it all, try it. And if it doesn't work, try something else. And if that doesn't work, try something else. And, and what's cool about being in your twenties is let's say you're not married. Let's say you don't have you know, a house payment and a car payment and mortgage and 401k and kids going to private school and all the other things that, that get added to your backpack later in life, right? Let's say you don't have any of that. Let's say it's just you going out there and trying new things. What do you have to lose? You know, you have nothing. It's such a wonderful time in your life to just try stuff and put your heart into it, put your soul into it 
And then if you don't get, again, this goes back to the decision. If you don't like where you're at or you don't like the results you're getting or something's a little bit off, you know, spend some time internalizing. Why did I not like that feeling or what was the feeling I had? Okay. That didn't like that. Why didn't I like that? What should I do to change that? Right. And instead of getting down, instead of feeling depressed that, you know, you, you don't have it right. Just change, just upgrade, level up. I love that. And I'd love to kind of get into your book a little bit. And I have a quote that I'd like to read. And then I'd like you to kind of talk about where this came from. So the quote is, from the time I was four or five, my parents began to drill into me the concept of mastery, the idea that anything can be conquered. You just have to be willing to go further than anyone else. That was the seed of my extreme behavior and extreme discipline. And in your book, there's lots of things about being extreme. Can you talk about what that means to you? You know, I wasn't expecting this book to become the huge bestseller that it was. I mean, you know, when you sell a book that's got, you know, 500,000, I don't know, maybe it's 550,000 copies sold, you have a lot of people giving you their perspective and insight and asking you questions and good questions like this. You're like, maybe I could have stated this differently or in a different way, but Here's what I've learned about extreme behavior. And I want to be careful because extreme is not bad. It's not ugly. Extreme means it's it's not something you see. And it's not something you see in many places. And that's what makes it extreme. You know, Mount Everest is extreme. Mount Rushmore is extreme. You know, your local Walmart or Target, yeah, that's probably not extreme, right? <laughs> and so the challenge is for most of us, we spend most of our time doing things that are not extreme because someone says, settle down, quiet down. I'm here to put your feet on the ground, slow down. Don't be crazy. Don't do anything that you'll, you know, you'll lose at. They give, feed us all these lines about being realistic, right? And we never reach deep into this, into the soul that we have and draw upon this energy to just push ourselves further. I think that's why it's one of the big lessons I've learned in ultra running, you know, running a hundred mile race beyond requires, you know, this brokenness. It's not strength that you find it's brokenness. You find in this extremeness, you find brokenness, but that brokenness is what allows you to find your strength, right? And it sounds like a little bit of a word salad, but I guess the point I'm, I'm trying to make to you is this, is that, listen, find the hardest job that you can do and do it. Find the job that everyone's avoiding and do it. I still, um, was it Mike? Who was the guy who did dirty jobs? I, I didn't watch the show, but I remember hearing him speak. I think it was a Ted talk actually. And he said, you know, the show where he'd go out and it would get in a, you know, sewage pit. He'd interview the guy pumping sewers and he'd interview the guy who had a small electrical company. And, and it was like, you know, literally dirty jobs. The guy who was shoveling gravel, you know, and he said in one of his TEDx talks, we often look down on people with blue collar jobs, but there are more millionaires in the United States who have blue collar jobs than any other segment. It's not the Wall Street, you know, fashionista who is the wealthy guy. It's the guy down the street who owns a plumbing company, who's got, you know, a dirty plunger in the back of his truck, who's got the most money. And so 
I think that's kind of a amplification of what I'm trying to say with this idea of being extreme. Your answer is not to do less and play it safe. Your answer is to push the limits. Uh, on the edge is where there's, there's the fewest number of people. People stay away from the edge because they're, they're afraid. And they don't want to fall. So yet they tend to clump up in the middle, right? All making sure that they stay safe and sound. And so extreme behavior is really your secret. The thing I'll add to this that I've learned over the years, and I just turned 40 two months ago, so maybe I'm, you know, starting to have these moments where I'm getting soft. You know, part of extreme is not just hard work and long work and intense work. It's also about, you know, extreme love and extreme discipline and all the other feels that we often kind of like diminish in our quest for making money. And so I guess if I had something to add, that would be it as well, which is, you know, it's, it's not just about work. It's about the pursuit of other things in our lives like God and, and community and relationships. And those things can be equally one. I think in my book I wrote, and if not, I'll share the story with you. So I opened the story with a you know, pretty dramatic moment in my life where I was contemplating suicide because of kind of how my life was melting down around me. And one of the thoughts that went through my head in this, in this journey, in my fight back from this, was what if I fought as hard for my marriage as I did to make millions? I mean, you know, I, I fought to make millions and achieve that success at an early age. What if I were to take that same level of like single-minded, relentless focus and apply it to that? How much more successful would I be, right? How much further along would my relationship be? And that's what I mean about being extreme. It's not just the toys and the money and the fun and the trips and the vacations, although those are all epic and awesome. It's about, it's really about deciding what you want, really, and then applying every ounce of your energy in pursuit of that goal. Yeah. And I, I think that Asking yourself the question and constantly checking in with this question of how do I want to feel? How do I want my life to look? It's hard to do sometimes because if you start achieving success in one area, you can get swept away with the excitement of that and everything else can fall to the wayside. But then you might see that you're not that happy in the end because you've been chasing instead of embracing some of the other things that you actually have and actually wanted. I also wanted to comment on your finding your brokenness. And I think that this is a, a really powerful statement. And speaking to extremes, I mean, I'm on the extreme bandwagon based on things I, I do in my life. But whenever you do things that are extreme, that's the only way to really find your brokenness because you can hide in so many different places. And especially ultra athletes, it's like when you're out there for 15, or, I mean, it could, depending on who you are, it could be one hour, but when you're out there for like 10 hours, 15 hours, 24 hours, there is absolutely nowhere to hide. And the extremes of emotion, of joy, of sadness, of the person that you might be running away from, you know, running away from your demons, like those things are all very apparent in those moments. And that's how you learn from them. And that's why endurance sports are so powerful. I think you're exactly right. So I was filming a reality show for Spike TV, and it's a show that never aired, so I can tell you all about it. I could even make up crazy stories, but it's the truth. Flew to San Diego, filmed the whole pilot. The acting, the working title was 
a breadwinner and it was basically a reality show where uh, you know i was uh getting tough love to breadwinners who had kind of were not producing as much bread anymore and so their money had gone down and declined and it was a whole big mess but i remember and you know it, some of this some of the parts of a reality show they're not scripted but they are set up right that's the inside secret they are set up oh we're going to be doing this scene now get in your get in a frame of mind you know instantaneously but I remember speaking to this one individual. He was very gifted. He, he made, you know, twenty million dollars or so, and then, you know, had kind of fallen off. And I'm listening to him talk about, you know, oh, I, you know, I know we're broke, but I still need to pay play golf at least once or twice a week for two hundred dollars a pop because you know, that's the stuff. That's what keeps me alive and all of this. And and the wife was no better because she was spending all this money on spas and nails and stuff. And I'm thinking, oh my god, like this is ridiculous. And so he said, I, I said, guys, I don't think I can help you like at all, at all. And he's like, well, listen, I've heard about you and I know what you do. And I, I need, I think you could coach me back. And like, if there's a guy who can do it, I think it's you. So he started like pitching me on helping him. And I, I remember, you know, I was in his front living room and I got up and started walking to the front door and it wasn't scripted at all. I was just like, I don't think I can help you. I, I don't think you want it bad enough. And I don't think you know what it's like to be truly broken. And so I just can't help you. And when I got to the door, he said, listen, just give me a chance. You know, you're shooting me down before I even have a chance. And I said, I don't know what came over me. I wish I could say it was like a stroke of brilliance. It wasn't. It was like something within me. And I said, you know what? Tell you what. You go run. It was a Friday when we filmed it. I said, you go over the weekend. You go run 20 miles. You call me on Monday and tell me how you feel. And we'll talk. And if you don't run the 20 miles, don't call me. And I'll have the answer. Right? You're not serious. And he just looked at me. And I could tell by looking at him when we were looking that he wasn't going to do it. And so I just kind of walked outside the house. And, you know, when I got outside, the cameras were like, hey, why did you say that? And I said, you know, I don't know. I kind of, it's my first answer. It's probably not a great answer for being on TV. You're supposed to know. I don't know why I'm doing this. I said, you know, I get the sense that he's kind of smug. He's the villain, right? He's the villain on a, on a reality show. He's smug and condescending. He doesn't want it bad enough. And there's something magical that happens when you want it. You know, every time you do an extreme race, you start off and you're happy and you're with your friends. You're like, this is going to be fun. And then somewhere along the lines, you start going, oh, wow, I'm a little uncomfortable. And then further along, you're like, oh, shoot, I don't know. that. Was this a good idea? I mean, should I have done this? This doesn't even seem smart. <laughs> and then further along, you're like, oh, my gosh, like I don't even like I'm 85 miles in and I know I should keep going because I'm 85 miles in. But like, this is ridiculous. This is really bad. And then you enter this phase when you're at mile 100 where you cross the finish line and it's not even happiness or elation. It's just a sense of I did that. I met the enemy. It was me. I conquered him and I'm here and I'm better and I'm stronger, not because I was strong, but because at the end of the day, I was able to face face down my demons and still you know, and live to tell about it. And I think that's, that right there is the power of being broken. I like it. I mean, <laughs> you have to experience it to really truly understand what that feels like. But I think that you can experience that 
you don't have to do like an extreme race. You can do that in business. You can do that even in a relationship, pushing yourself to that limit. I wanted to ask you about the harmony over balance portion of your book, because you always hear about balance, yada, 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 balance. And I like how you talked about harmony. Can you explain to people what you meant by that? Yeah. So this whole idea of balance was a popular 90s thing. Be balanced. Conceptually, it's great. But at the end of the day, it's just like, how do you actually do it? It's one of those things where you, you know, it's like, it seems possible. You're just, how, how does it actually happen? Right. And I think when I do think about this, right, when I do think about like how this all works and how you achieve success in your life, it's that the elements of your life when combined together create like this beautiful symphony. And that comes from harmony, not from everything being balanced. If everybody in an orchestra all played the same note, it would be absolutely boring. And so that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for people to sing different notes and play different rhythms and have different patterns. And together that creates a song, a symphony. So I apply the same sort of logic to my life. And here's what I've learned that when it comes to achieving success, you know, you can't have it all, not at the same time. You can't be home you know, 12 hours a day with your kids. If you're a mom, you know, mom CEO, you can't be home or a dad CEO. You can't stay home and be with the kids for 12 hours a day and be in the office for 12 hours a day. That just doesn't work, right? It's just not possible. So what you have to do is make smart choices and you have to make choices that are harmonious. In other words, it makes no sense, right? It makes no sense at all for you to get in a some sort of battle it makes no sense for you to get in some sort of fight with a person who's enabling you to go do work when they're watching, let's say your kids, right? They're the person who's, you know, you need that harmony. For example, you talked about working hard. If you're working 20 hour days and you're doing it for more than a couple days in a row, I have to tell you, you're going to be out of harmony with your body, meaning you're going to be really, really tired, right? And so what happens is, um, you need to get enough sleep so that you can perform at your optimum. And I don't think that's balance. I think that's harmony. In other words, I when I think of balance, and maybe this is just because I'm 40, I think of the old teeter-totter, you know, at, in the playground. I guess they've outlawed them now. But in the old teeter-totter, you had like a, a stick, you know, a metal stick with like a rod in the middle and you would sit on one end and it would go low and the other end would go high and then the other end would go low and you would go high. And, you know, you would hurt your butt because you're just, you know, drop kicking yourself against the ground. But you would go up and down and up and down and up and down. You're fine, you know. And here's what's interesting. That toy would be absolutely worthless if it just stayed level, right? If both people stayed level, they would hop off because it would be so boring. But it's when it's when you have the ups and downs and ups and downs that people go, oh, now I get it, right? Now I'm excited. Now I know exactly what to do. Yeah, a previous podcast guest called it intentional imbalance. Yeah, I like that. That's great wording. I wish I would have thought about that. I mean, that's exactly right. It's basically saying, Look, it can't all be buttery smooth. It's just not going to work. It's just not going to work. 
So I wanted to talk about extreme effort because you have several chapters about different tips for kind of being on the edge. And Mm -hmm. one of your things that you talk about is stop making excuses because that's the difference between success and failure and turning your thinking into action. So how can people stop making those excuses? Because it's so easy to say, well, what if this, or I can't do that, or I'll just start tomorrow. Like how can people just put that aside and just get going with their extreme effort? So I like the power of taking the first step. Well, we often talk ourselves out of doing the right thing simply because we're not willing to take the first step. And that's where I think, that's where I think there's power, right? That's where I think there's that opportunity to level up. And so you just have to take a first step. You have, I mean, you know what you want and then you just take the step. And then what happens is you, because you've taken one step, it's like, well, I'll take another step and another step. And we often say, don't start something you're, you're not willing to finish. But the reality is like, there's a lot of things you shouldn't finish because they're failures. But by taking the first few steps, you learn where to adapt and adjust. So quick point of order. Most people say, I'm going to get clarity and then I'm going to take action. But that's not how clarity works. You get clarity from action. You don't get action from clarity. So you take action and then you get clarity. And that gives you the direction to take better action, right? And so it's, it's you take action, which gives you clarity, not the other way around. So how do people know when to give up? Because you mentioned that sometimes things are failures and especially people like us, if we're an endurance athlete, we, we, we try not to give up. So we tend to stay in things longer than we should. So how do you know when to walk away? So this has been probably the hardest answer to solve of every, every question of all time that I get asked. And so let me try to address it this way. Let me work backwards and make some observations. I've not met many successful people who say to me, Dan, I'm so glad I gave up, right? I've not met many people who say to me, Dan, you know what, I was doing this thing and then my life changed and I gave up and like everything is magical. Like it's been great ever since. That's not what happens, right? What What I hear from people is, oh man, was it tough. Like it was tough. It was tough, tough, tough. And I started doubting myself. I started doubting possibility, didn't know if it was going to work. And then, you know, the skies parted and I achieved success, right? And it was all good because of that. So what do I make of this? I make of this when I look at highly successful people and they tell me more times than not, I'm glad I didn't quit. And I don't hear people saying, man, I'm so glad I did quit. I can only infer from that, right? That giving up is not our problem. We, sh- we don't have a problem with like not giving up, right? It's the opposite. It's our proclivity for making excuses and backing out of things we should do because they're uncomfortable when those things are the things that will actually elevate us to successful outcomes. So that's how I answer the question now is like, I'm not completely sure, but what I've observed is that giving up is not the secret to success, that the fortitude to keep going forward, even when you're not sure, is probably the better skill. 
And I wanted to ask about your journey. Like you started with your book talking about contemplating suicide and having a gun in your mouth and then made a decision not to do that and then changed your life. So how did that all come about? Wow, that's a loaded question. Which thing? Yeah, that's like a- you got to a point where everything was just too much and you were about to pull the trigger. What made you not pull that trigger? Candidly, I realized it was final. I realized that there were many choices I could make that I could undo, but this was not one that I could undo. And that was definitely scary. I realized very, very, very seriously that if I go down this path, it's all over. And that's what really kind of shook me to my core is that in truth, wow, you have a lot of options in life, but you know, this thing that's taking over our young kids' lives, suicide, it's actually taking over grown adults' lives too. Believe it or not, this is a crazy stat. Suicide's the number two killer of all of our kids, Sonia. That's clearly what you would label, I think, as an epidemic, but I'm digressing a little bit. You know, I realize that, look, I have choices. This is a bad choice. No matter if I'm drunk or not, it's a bad choice. That stopped me. Now, how did I make my way back? It was hard. It was very hard. I'm emotional thinking about it. It was hard. Every day was a battle. It was a battle to keep my emotions in check. It was a battle to grow and learn, to not beat myself up for past mistakes, to forgive others, to forgive myself, and a lot of therapy, and a lot of just learning and growing and adapting and adjusting. Uh, what made that whole journey a little more palatable was the fact that I realized as I was talking about it, there were others who were on that same journey themselves. And so the more I talked about it, the more they felt encouraged. And then as I talked about it, I realized, wow, there's lots of people on the same pathway. That led to now millions of people reading a blog, hundreds of thousands buying the book, right? And the whole community and everything that it's become since then just came from you know, me screwing up, but trying to figure it out. And you talked about, you know, taking the steps, taking one step at a time. How did you know what your first step needed to be after that? I just knew I wanted to feel better. And so I did whatever I could to feel better. And that meant getting help. And so I hired a therapist and said, essentially, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Just I I can't feel this way anymore. I have to change. And what were the things that you learned to untie your knots to help you go in the right direction in your life? So one would be to own my own shit. Don't make excuses and don't give history. Here's another thing too. People don't care about your history, right? Uh, we're living in the present. So, oh, I did this in the past or two years ago I did this thing. Yeah, no one cares. No one cares. So live in the present. So that's number one. Number two, I'd say this as far as getting untied. We often undervalue the amount of progress we can make if we make small, continuous steps. And I vowed, wasn't like a holy grail or anything like that. I just kind of vowed that I was going to make forward progress if it killed me every day. I was going to make forward progress. And so I just determined to be a little bit better tomorrow than I was today. I started journaling. I started meditating. And I didn't do it all at one time. I kind of, you pick up things right? You pick them up and you add them to your repertoire and you become better as you you know, level up what you're doing. You level up the friends you're around and ultimately 
you end up in some really amazing places simply because of the tiny steps that you've taken each day. Yeah. And how did you start your business? Well, that was easy. I mean, that was easy. I already built a successful company and sold millions and millions of dollars. And when I sold it, in, I think 2008, then I was getting headhunted by you know really big companies like GE and Siemens and things like that. And I knew I didn't want to work for them, but I didn't know what else I wanted to do. So I started, I started this business that was focused on helping other people achieve, you know, really outrageous results and applying what I had learned to kind of like, you know, people psychology. So I think, yes, business was easy. I'm thinking as you asked the question that, that, that I almost shrug off. It was everything that came between me and business. That was hard. Keeping my head straight, keeping my emotions in check, learning, growing, reading books, that's the stuff that was a challenge. Yeah. And something that I hear that keeps coming up a lot is learning and how a lot of times people just stop learning after they're done with school, but it's so important for us to keep learning throughout our lives. So for you, where did you find your commitment to learning? Well, I, I don't know, but I know that I'm curious. You know, I was raised 18 years, you know, from the time I was born till I was out of the house, no TV in my home, had to read a book a day practice the piano an hour a day, stuff like that. It's probably instilled in me. I don't know that I ever truly found it, but I, I do know that I'm also have an obsessive personality. So if I want to know something, I just go out and find it. You know, I go in and find the person who could help me. And what I often tell people is if you think about it, you know, someone will take two or three years to write a book on everything they've learned on a particular subject. And you can read it in like two days, three days, right? And you can absorb everything they know about this amazing topic in like a little bit of time, right? How long did it take you to write your book, just out of curiosity? Four years. Yeah, it's always great to hear people's journey because people think, oh, book writing, it's so easy. And I found, you know, I'm working on my own book myself and it's harder than people think it is. <laughs> so the thing I find interesting is that I hear people saying, write a book in a weekend you know, write a book in two weeks. And I just have to say, why? What are you trying to do? Are you trying to write a, if you want a business card, go just create a business card. But what people need isn't another crappy book. What they need for you is to put your soul on a piece of paper so that it can better them. It can make them better, right? That's the challenge. They don't need just another book that you've written in a weekend. Anything you can do in a weekend is probably not going to be high value. And in your book, you do talk about vulnerability and it comes naturally for some people and not so much for other people. So to achieve that vulnerability or that's creating that space, how do you do that if you're not somebody that is just normally vulnerable with others? I think the best way to be vulnerable with others is to care about others. See, vulnerability isn't about you. It's about what you do to others or with others because of what you experience them going through. It's the result of empathy, not an act or some behavior that you adopt. Does that make sense? Definitely. I love that. Empathy is whenever people say to me, like, what does the world need more of? It's empathy. Yeah, completely. Yep. The last thing I wanted to ask you was you have some Jedi mind tricks and outthinking your fear was a section. 
And there's a lot of different fears people have that hold them back. And that's a, a topic I love talking about as well. So what's some advice you can give people to outthink their fear and to overcome that for getting started with something or trying something new? Wow, your question threw me for a loop. <laughs> Sorry. Let me take a gentle half step back. Well, I'll tell you the first thing that was on my mind because you said it, it came to my mind and I thought, no, let me go a different direction. But let me, if it's on my mind, it must be my gut instinct. So on my arm, I've got, you know, a sleeve, you know, a tattoo and says burn the ships and some other stuff. But um, on, the, on my forearm, I've got the word believe. And I think the most powerful ninja skill you could have in your head is the power of belief. It's, it might be, you know, two syllables, but it's probably, you know, a thousand syllables worth of effort, right? It's really, really hard because there are days where you don't believe. And so I think if there's a ninja trick, it is to believe. If you see politicians who say the most ridiculous stuff and you go, what? They believe it. And so it becomes true, right? You see con men and they scam you out of your money and you go, how did you do that? They believe, uh, you see athletes who rise to the moment, have their Rudy moment, right? And they achieve success when they shouldn't. And you're like, how did you do that? They believe. And so, again, I'll go back to your question about quitting, where I said I, I know the reverse, but I don't know the – I know what not quitting is not the answer. Uh, I'll say this. I think a lot of our insecurity, our pettiness, our jealousy is stems from our own personal lack of belief. We do really stupid shit not because of anyone else, just simply because we don't believe, right? Mm -hmm. We don't believe. And so it stops us and slows us down. So that's where I go and say, we have to believe. Yeah. And the hardest part of that is like you mentioned, some days you can feel really good and you're like, yeah, like I got this, I'm going to get there. I'm just going to keep pushing. And then there's those days where you just want to give up. And the hardest part is to keep going on those days when you want to give up. Or maybe you have a string of days or a string of weeks or even like a year where just things aren't going the way that you wanted them to go. And you just have to stick with it. And that's incredibly difficult to do because whenever you don't believe, it actually affects the way that you perform. Something that's helped me is having people around me that also believe in me so that even when I don't believe in myself, got this that has been so powerful yeah that's right that's right belief is not something you just conjure up it's the result of it's like a chemical experience right and so what happens is you believe because a certain process has happened right and that's where i think it's really 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 important to understand is that yes when you're feeling weak you want other people to help you when you're feeling tired you want other people to help you when you're not sure what to do, you want people who will come in and really make things happen. And so that's that right there is probably the, the single greatest trick you can learn is to create in your life the elements that allow you to believe. Yeah, I love that. So you have all this great information for people. You have a podcast, you have a book, which you're giving away for free on your website, Where's the best place for people to get in touch with you? And what type of people do you typically work with? Look, we work with companies, you know, company leaders. That's who we work with. And we're not really taking on any new individuals because we're kind of really, really, really busy right now. But I would, I mean, 
if you need help, if you need it, you know, I have people reaching out from all over the world telling me about their struggles with depression and more, and well, I'm happy to help you. You can just go to freeedgybook.com, freeedgybook.com. Of course, the name of the book is Edgy Conversation, so it just makes sense, freeedgybook.com. And it's, you know, after selling 550,000 copies, we probably don't need to sell many more. Uh, so if you're serious about reading it and, and making change, we want to make sure you do that. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. And I also want to direct people to your Twitter. It's Dan Waldo, is that right? Yes, Dan Waldo. Yeah. That's me on Insta, all the things. Yeah, I think that you, especially on Twitter, you post up lots of really interesting links. I think that's how I found you initially, actually, was on Twitter. Cool. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Be awesome. I love people that just put it out there like Dan does and he's inspiring in so many ways and he's he's helped so many different people and just getting to talk to him made me feel more inspired like okay there's some things that I need to get going on I'll have to say that my book is something I need to get going on I started it and I started writing it in the winter and then with Cape Epic and a bunch of other things that popped up it sort of just got pushed to the side so that is my big goal right now. So I'm saying that out loud here on this podcast. So maybe you guys can help keep me accountable and just ask me how it's going. Apparently writing a book is one of the more difficult things. And for me, the writing part isn't hard. It's just sitting down and making the time to do it. And there's also a large research component. And I've been spending a lot of time doing the research part of it. So I'm really excited about that. And I'll share more about it later. But make sure you're signed up for my free email newsletter. I send out an email once or twice a month. And it's sonyalooney.com slash newsletter where I come out with new blog posts, tips, tricks, fun new things happening. And I, I think it's a really fun way to connect with you guys because social media doesn't always show you my posts, which is fine. That's just how things are these days. But an email newsletter is just a really great way for us to keep in touch. So thank you so much for listening. I really, really, really appreciate it that you guys are here. Thanks for making this podcast a huge success and wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you back here next week.